we're going to continue on this week, uh, banging into the third week of January. Thank God we have five weeks in January, five Sundays to help get us rolling for this new year. Last week, I started the beginning of the sermon series on In the Beginning. This series is so important to me because, as I said last week, we as a society and as a church, we can lose our way. It's very easy for us to lose our way. And even during the sermon last week between both services and afterwards, there are certain things that are said from the Word of God. It causes some discussion to happen. Why? Because the influences of the world around us are trying to silence the truth of the Bible. The influences of the things that we hear, the attitudes, ideologies, and philosophies, they want to speak counter to the Word of God. But I am grateful to God, and I'm grateful for the Scripture, and I'm grateful for the stories in the book of Genesis that bring me and bring us back to the beginning so that we can see the way that God intended for all things to be. When you know who you are, it changes everything. But it's more than just identity. Today, I want to speak to you about something else that I feel is important that's revealed in this story. And it's about intimacy. It's about a deep-rooted relationship with God. It's something that the scripture over and over again tries to reiterate and make clear to us. But in our church world, in our theological world, in our society, we have made God out to be a distant God who is nothing but militant. However, the scripture shows us, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, that God is a God who gets into the nitty-gritty of our life. In the person of Jesus, we see a love and compassion and mercy. We see someone who steps onto the scene, not only knowing his identity, not only intimate with the Father, but also full of authority. Jesus was and is the game-changer. And so for us, we don't need to wander around all confused as to who we are when the scripture shows us kindly in the beginning. Intimacy in our lives with the Lord is a primary thing that we all need. The reason why we need the love of God in our lives, and the scripture says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through Christ Jesus. Well, what does love do? Why is the book of Genesis so important to the identity of the Israelites as they leave hundreds of years of slavery and come into the promised land? Well, because when we are loved, we are free. The scripture says perfect love casts out all fear. When you know that you are loved, you know you are protected for and provided for, but love also brings about responsibility. And love also brings about loyalty. I'm going to talk about how the love of God and a deep relationship with him influence certain areas of our life. And some of these things you're going to say, I know that, I've heard that. And others, not that it's going to be new to you, but it's not something we're used to talking about within these Pentecostal charismatic circles. But why is intimacy with God such an important aspect of our life? Well, the moment you come to realize that only God can make a person godly, you are left with no option but to find God and to know God and to let God be God in and through you. 
right from the very beginning of Scripture, we see a God who wants to know us, a God that loves us. The story of Genesis shows us that the very God who always was and is and is to come, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, they have existed even before the beginning of humanity. And guess what? They didn't need you and I. They existed in perfect love, unity, peace, harmony, submission. Everything was great. But as an expression of the great love of the Trinity, they decided to create all that you see around you, whether it be in the universe through a telescope or it be a little piece of bacteria through a microscope. It has all been created. But the scripture shows us something that is different than any other creation story. That on the sixth day, God created us. He created you. He created me. But this is something within the Jewish thought that is so powerful. And it's not only something that relates to the Jews that were being freed from slavery in Egypt. It relates to you and I as we run from the power of the devil who tried to enslave us in our sin. And that is knowing that you are created in the image of God. The most powerful words in the scripture, let us Make man in our image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Let's not run past those words. Let's not run past God's original story. We are reading about our real ancestry. We are reading about Adam and Eve, the very people that God caused to found all that we see around us. Throughout history, they've tried to stray from the Bible. We don't need this. We don't need the story of creation. We don't need the story of Genesis. A lovely man by the name of Darwin tried to convince us, along with many others, that we came from a bunch of animals. And in that, they created a selective race theory. Some people were better than others. But the Bible shows us and has always shown us that each and every one of us are created in the image of God. Let no one and nothing take that away from you. Tomorrow, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a man who believes wholly with every fiber of his being that we were all created in the image of God, and he fought for it all of his life until his assassination. But a relationship with God is where it starts. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, And there he placed the man that he had formed, the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When people read this, especially in our Western society, they trip themselves up pretty quickly. But the Bible shows us that God created to meet with God and for God to meet with us. 
And God made this pleasure paradise. We could eat anything. We could relax. We could work. Everything felt great and wonderful. But in the midst of this garden, God provided two trees. One of them was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And people say, well, if God is so loving and good, why would he put a tree there to test us? Well, then you have a wrong understanding of what love is. Love is not robotic. The love of God is too pure for God to force us to love him. If God just put us in a little world and we could do what we want and have anything any way we want, no, God's love comes with responsibility. God's love comes with boundaries, and God's love comes with loyalty. God gave us a free will to choose for him, and we've got to want him. When we read the scripture, we see that there were two trees in the midst of the garden, one the tree of life and the other the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I kind of compare it to two folders. Picture if you were sitting at my home and I presented you with two options. I said, oh, Pastor Rina and I, we went on a wonderful vacation and a trip and we've got beautiful family photos of the most wonderful places you've ever seen and they're all in this folder. But I have another folder. And that folder is from any surgery or accident I've ever had in my life. And you can see every wound, every scar. You can see my exposed bone on there. You pick what file you want to look at. Can I ask you a nice question? Why in the name of anything holy are we so sickly curious to that which is harmful and evil? He says you can choose. Choose life. Adam and Eve had the right to eat of the tree of life each and every day, but they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their eyes were open. We all know people that are like that, and sometimes if I'm not careful, I can be like that. However, I'm grateful for one cultural thing that I have. Italians, we have a tenth gift of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for it? The gift of denial. Even though we know something is there, we don't see it and we don't hear it. We choose to deny reality on purpose, to not deal with it. But many come from cultures that are so curious, we want to know everything, we want to hear everything, but what benefit does it have to us? Adam and Eve had the right to choose life. But thank God that Jesus restored that way, and Jesus is the life, and in him is the light of all men. By choosing Christ, you and I daily choose life. And that life comes from a relationship with him. As I said, love brings freedom, but it also brings responsibility. And I want to encapsulate that term responsibility with a biblical word called stewardship. Oftentimes we hear the word stewardship and it relates to money. But however, today I want to talk to you about three other areas that intimacy has a direct effect upon. The first one is intimacy has a direct effect on relational stewardship. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, it says, And then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. This one will be called, not woman, but whoa, man. 
for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, that they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. The very premise of relational stewardship is this, that God did not create us as human beings to be alone. When God created Adam, he let Adam name the animals and the things of creation, but Adam was alone. So God chose from Adam to create the woman, and finally when he saw her and he exclaimed, whoa, man, that's how good looking she was. You can laugh at that one. Come on, she was the mother of all creation, ladies. She was a fine-looking woman. And when he saw her, he realized this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The first governance, the first human institution was born, and that was the institution of marriage. It is the number one thing that the enemy wants to attack. Our society promotes every other kind of relationship right now. So it seems awkward when we talk about just a married couple. But I want you to know something outside of God. One of the most important relationships that you can steward is the relationship between you and your spouse. The scripture shows us clearly. It says, men, love your wives like Christ loves the church and was willing to lay down his life for her. Can I get an amen on that one? He loves his wife, loves her completely, would do anything for her. But the Bible says, wives, love your husbands and follow them. Well, ladies, it becomes a lot easier to follow your husband when you know he's going to lay down his life for you, doesn't it? Because when God created Eve, he says to Adam, I will provide for you a suitable helper. That is the Hebrew word ezer, like Ebenezer. The Lord has helped us up until now. But that same word is used in Greek as the parakletos, meaning the Holy Spirit. When God says, I will send you a comforter and a helper to be with you. Adam should not have been alone. God created Eve for him. In the world in which we live, God is not dumb. He knows that we need one another, but we steward all of our time into other things that are not important. And I want to implore every married couple today, if God is not part of the daily picture of your marriage, bring him in. Do what you have to do to bring him in. Everything around you will attack it and come at it. Bring him in. The other area that the enemy loves to attack is the family. He'll do everything to make you busy, busy, dreadfully busy, where you spend all your time and attention on other matters. In our society, we oftentimes want to blame things, you know? Oh, well, you know, the policies and procedures of this or that. We do not have control over the government. We do not have control over the educational systems. We do not have control over financial systems. But you do have control over your marriage. You do have control over your house. You might not be able to influence the White House, but you can influence your own house. And how do you bring them in? Where are the God moments built into the fabric of the daily life of your family? Are there moments of Bible reading and prayer, whether it be after dinner, going to bed, driving with your child in the morning? For the grandparents here, I want you to know this. Not only do you have legal rights over your grandchildren, you've got spiritual rights over them too. 
You can pray and believe God for them, that God is going to save them, deliver them, heal them. They're not far away from the blessings of God. People, there is blessing for a godly line. It should be the desire of everyone here that God will raise up a godly line through their family. See, we talk in the charismatic Pentecostal movement about generational sins and curses, but we forget there is generational blessing. There is generational blessing for them that obey him and follow his decrees. Come on. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be living with a curse on my life. Oh, well, my ancestors. No, there was nothing good in them. But the moment that we came to Jesus, we broke with the curse of the enemy, and now the blessing can flow. In the very region that we live, a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards produced a God movement, a revival, a genuine awakening. Edwards believed he was a lawyer who got touched by God, and as he preached, he believed that everywhere he went, the kingdom of God would manifest itself. They've done a genealogical trace of Edward's descendants. The descendants of Jonathan Edward have been of the most influential people in the United States of America. I don't know about you, but the blessing of God will flow beyond me to a thousand generations. Act like it. Talk like it. Believe like it. It might require change to happen in your household. See, we want to give over responsibility to other people, but if, if we love, if we are united with God, the scripture shows us it will have influence on our marriage. It will have influence on our family. My grandfather, he was a principal and an educator most of his life. He actually died at school. My mom says it was a place, it was like perfect. He loved that building. He educated people all of his life, but my grandfather had an expression, and he would say, education begins and ends at home. Well, guess what? Godliness begins and ends at home. We love our children's ministry here. We love everyone who faithfully serves in the nursery and kids' ministry. We love our youth ministry here and the pastors who do it. But if we leave godliness up to them, we are doing our families and our children an injustice. Oh, but education and the educational system. No, 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 no. They took prayer out of school, but they didn't take prayer out of the home. Come on. They didn't take prayer out of the home. No one can stop you from blessing your child every morning. Every day, my mother drove me to a public school that was as liberal as all get out, and she would squeeze my fingers with hers, and she would pray over my life. I don't know about you, but you have power that no one can take away from you. You have the ability to declare life and blessing on a daily basis over your marriage and over your family. Speak words of life, ladies, over your husbands. Husbands, speak words of life over your wife. And speak words of life over your children, and children bless and honor your parents. We live in a world that says, Oh, your parents are a bunch of idiots. No, they are not. They are the very source of your godly blessing. They are the very source of your spiritual life. Honor them, thank them, and be grateful for them. It is because my mother decided to get saved that it influenced my life from now to the rest of eternity. Come on, let's give the parents a shout of praise. Martin Luther King said the following, 
An individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Well, I just said focus on the family, so is that being too individualistic? No. When you focus on a godly family, do you know that that will change the bedrock of society? When we raise up a godly lineage, that will change society. That will leave a ripple effect that goes far beyond your words or your works. A godly generation that keeps going and going and going is the answer for the world in which we live. See, we're praying for this massive revival. I've seen revival. I've seen people shake and bake under the the power of the Spirit, and I've seen them beat their wives after the service. Come on. Come on. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does? He gives you the power to be a godly wife, a godly husband, a godly parent. He gives you the ability not only to speak in tongues, but to say sorry. He gives you the ability not only to speak in authority and cast out demons, he gives you the ability to speak in love and to restore situations that you've damaged. That is the power of the spirit. That is the power of revival. That is why the stewarding of our relationships is so important. You cannot say, I love God and neglect the people around you. It doesn't work together. Even in the New Testament, I'll throw this out pretty quickly. There are often times in churches I've pastored, we've had situations that's like, oh, you know, this person or that. They're all alone. They're a widow. They're this. And I'm like, where are your children? Because the scripture says clearly, it is the responsibility of the family to care for the family. My mom goes to a great church, but I am not leaving it up to the church to care for my mama. Come on. It's my responsibility. Steward your relationships through the power of Jesus. The second area that might not get all the hoots and hollers has to do with environmental stewardship. See, in the Pentecostal charismatic world, we say Jesus is coming again, it's all gonna burn anyway, so we don't think we carry a responsibility for this place that God has placed us in. But the scripture shows us it was God's intent from the very beginning that we do. In Genesis 2, 15 through 16, it says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden, and listen to these words, to work it and to watch over it. To work it and to watch over it, meaning he did not neglect it by sitting on his lazy butt. Because that's what people think. Oh, when I'm in the presence of the Lord, I can just do nothing. No, 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 no. God has always, from the beginning, destined for us to work. Work is not dirty to God. Work is not, that's what people think. Oh, if I could just live for the Lord and do nothing. Living for the Lord is not doing nothing. Living for the Lord is hard work when we do it correctly. And he says, watch over it, meaning tend it, keep it, steward it, treat it well. And the Lord God commanded the man, he said, you are free to eat from the tree from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you will eat from it, you will certainly die. The scripture shows us that in this intimacy of love, we also need to carry this responsibility for creation. God has given us this wonderful, beautiful planet to live on, and you and I are responsible for it. 
but in America, we're a land of consumerist and materialist. We want everything and we want it now and we want more than others. And we don't understand American poverty is riches in other parts of the world. We complain about all kinds of things with our lives here. Oh, the doctor can't see me till tomorrow. Well, thank God you have a doctor to go to tomorrow. Do you understand that every time you turn on the faucet and have fresh, clean water, that that is a blessing for you? And what do we do in America? We just let the water run. Brushing my teeth. You don't need 10 gallons of water to brush your teeth. If there's one way that you can implement change to change the world in which we live, to keep clean drinking water for generations, use a drop of water. That's all you need on a pea-sized amount of toothpaste. For those that cover the toothbrush with too much, you are not doing it correctly. You don't even need to rinse your mouth out completely. The toothpaste should actually do a little bit of work on your teeth and on your gums. For those that allow every light to be on in their home, and we talk about, oh, this whole electric and problem and whatever, come on. We are destroying our planet. We are becoming reliant on fossil fuels from other countries. There wouldn't be a war in Russia if we didn't need what they have. But because it takes six planets to reproduce the life of every American, we are dependent on others. Oh, but we're woke in the United States. We're not woke, we're dope. And I mean not dope, like stupid dope, dopey. We're dopey. We think we're so important in this country. We really do. We need to become better stewards. Better stewards of our homes. Better stewards of the natural resources that we're using. We complain about the price of gas, but we, when we do errands, we don't plan them accordingly. My pastor that I grew up with, he, ta he taught us the secret of the loop. Meaning when you go to run errands, you run errands in a loop. Meaning you take the car and you plot it out before you even go so that you're going full circle and coming right back to your house. Not only do you save time, you save gas. But these are things we just take them for granted. Oh, it is what it is. No, it is not what it is. By doing little things, we make a big change. One thing that has irked me to the core, and I don't mean anything bad by it, I happened to grow up in a school system that taught us real history. I'm not blind to the things that have happened. Even the cause of slavery, even Martin Luther King and civil rights movement, those are things that I grew up learning and I love them and I embrace them with every fiber of my being. However, if we only focus on the slavery of the past, we are blind to the fact that today there are more people in modern-day slavery than in the rest of human history. Can we get woke today? Can we wake up today to that reality? And how does modern slavery happen? Do you have a cell phone? Do you have a computer? Because there are little kids in other countries that are slaves mining out there to make sure that we get the pieces of things so that we can have the newest and the greatest and the best. And guess what? I'm guilty too. We need to change those things. We need to become better stewards not only of the land but of the resource of people. People's lives matter. 
even if it costs you more money, even if the bananas that you buy cost you an extra 50 cents, it is worth the 50 cents to help people in disproportionate countries where wealth is shifted and people have to slave in order to get through the day. Martin Luther King said the following, if we are to have peace on earth, our loyalties must become ecumenical rather than sectional. Our loyalties must transcend our race, our tribe, our class, and our nation. And this means we must develop a world perspective. One of the greatest ills of American society is that we only look at ourselves. We the people are only concerned about we the people. But God said, let us make them in our image. See, the Christian mandate is to all people, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So those that are suffering on the other side of the world, guess what? I am suffering as long as they are suffering. Come on. I am suffering when they're suffering. And as we get a hold of this, as we realize that we are our brother's keeper, not only in America, but in all the other countries in the world. And I'm not saying brother's keeper is developing democracy in every other country. What I'm saying is the kingdom of God, the love of believers, and we show that as Bethel through what we do for missions, but I believe that there's more that we can do. Even in our daily life, that we can become better stewards of the environment so that we can bless the countries around us that are suffering, and it's all on the backbone of our wealth. As long as we're okay, it's all good. It's not. The last area, but also important, is spiritual stewardship. In Genesis 3, 8 through 9, it says the following, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said, Where are you? Even though it's a harsh story because Adam and Eve had just eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and their eyes opened up. And again, like a bunch of dodos, they're trying to like hide it with these leaves. <laughs> hiding behind the bush over here like God created you and saw you naked all of a sudden they're hiding from God I don't know about you but that's one of the most liberating feelings God sees me naked and he loves me anyway <laughs> but they hid they hid from the one that loved them the most they hid from the one that had a solution to their problem they hid from the one that could save them See, intimacy is so important. It's so important to realize that the God of the Bible is trying to draw us close in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our wickedness and evil. The God of the Bible is saying, come to me, come to me, come to me, run to me, because I will make a suitable covering for you. But in Jesus, it's not only the covering of our sin and our shame and our guilt, it is the complete eradication and removal of it. We're free in him. King said the following right before he died. It was a speech he gave before his assassination. He said in this famous speech, he said, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I have been to the mountaintop. 
and I don't mind like anyone. I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I am not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Why do you and I need to be connected to our maker? Because life and trials and tribulations are going to come. Hardship is going to come. But one thing that we can never forget about Martin Luther King, he wasn't just a social activist. He was someone who knew his identity in God. He knew that he was a child of God. He knew that God would bring about the victory. He knew that he never had to fight with his hands. He knew that he never had to speak out against people. He knew the only thing that he had to do was live in the truth of God. God and proclaim it, live it, and sing it. And as he did, singing songs like, we shall overcome, he overcame. Even though he didn't touch the end result, he got close. But he said to all those that were listening to him, he said, I have been to the mountaintop. And I want to encourage you, spiritually get to that mountaintop, that place between you and God, where you and God alone are together. And it is there and only there that you will see the promised land. It is there and only there that you will see the plans and purposes of God, not only for your life, but for the lives of everyone around you. So church, we've got to get back up to the mountaintop. We've got to get into an intimate relationship with Jesus because when we do, that is what changes the world around us. Change is not just political. It's not just financial. Real change is spiritual change. You can change someone's economic background. You can change the way they look on the outside. But you cannot change the inward part of man that is sick and wounded. Only Jesus can get there. And by the power of the cross... Jesus allowed himself to become brutalized and allow himself to be handled in an inhumane manner. And he did that to restore your humanity. He did that to restore your dignity. And when you get a hold of that in your spirit, you get to that mountaintop and you look over to the other side. And church, I want us to know something, that we are gonna get to the other side. Trials and tribulations will come problems will get at you. The enemy will try to attack you. But Jesus has already showed us the promised land. See, all of heaven and earth will pass away. But one day a new earth and a new heaven will come and a new Jerusalem will descend and Jesus will be there. There'll be no more death and no more crying. There'll be no more attacking of marriages and families. There'll be no more environmental problems going on anymore because the lion will lie down with the lamb. There will be life and life abundantly. There'll be no more tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there will be a tree of life that will lead to the healing of every nation producing fruit, new fruit every season to give life, 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 and life abundantly. 
In closing, King said the following, by opening our lives to God and Christ, we become new creatures. This experience, which Jesus spoke of as new birth, is essential. If we are to be transformed, nonconformist. Oh, I love that statement. Transformed, nonconformist. Only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. Church, there's ground to be one. We're not done here. When we talk about what God wants to do in New England, we're not done here. And God is not done with you. The one who made you in his image is calling you. He's calling you to get things right in your home, within your families. Let today be the day that you make one change. One change. Change one thing. You might not be able to change at all. Today is also the day to make one change in your life for the betterment of the environment. Just one. One change. One thing. Turn the water on a little less. Turn the lights off when you're not using them. It does the world of difference. Plan your errands accordingly. Make a change. But lastly, one of the biggest, deepest changes you can make for society is by connecting to Jesus in a way like you've never connected to him before. Deep change. A new creation. Walking in his image. Living in his image. You don't have to keep eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't keep having to look at that nasty, dirty folder with all of the ailments and problems of humanity. Today, you get to choose life. Life. Life for you, for your family, for the world around us. Life for New England. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I pray for each person here that as we reach out to you and we receive your love, that that love would be transformational not only to us, but the world around us. Jesus, this is a deep-rooted, deep-seated lesson, and I pray that I, I don't want to point at a congregation or people watching online. I point first to myself. Show me the areas that need to be different to live this out, to walk this out with life and life abundantly. But this morning, if you're sitting here, and you want to become a better steward of one of the three areas that I mentioned, or maybe all three of them, I need you to show yourself. Please stand. Adam and Eve had to come out from behind the shrubbery. They had to say, God, here I am. I'm, I'm fumbling here, but I want to do better. I want to do better in my relationships with people. I want to do better in the way that I live my life and treat the environment. I want to do better in my spiritual relationship with you, Lord. So here I am. Jesus, I take myself, my shame, my guilt, my proverbial nakedness, and I bring it to you when I ask not only that you cover me, but cleanse me completely. Let me leave this service today just implementing one area of change, one thing, one thing. Jesus, work through my life like never before. And let the motivator of this be the love of God in your life. I'd like to ask the altar team to come and take their place here at the front. If there's anyone that needs personal prayer for anything, even if it's not related to this message today, 
the altar team is here for you to believe God for your situation. God wants to do a work. He wants you to leave differently than the way that you came. Be a steward of that. Meaning the stewardship is this. If there are resources available to you, grab them. Use them. Utilize them to the best of your ability. I pray God's blessing out over each of you this week. May you go in the love and in the power of Jesus. Pastor Noah is going to lead us in one last song. However, if there are parents with children, it is now time to pick up the kids from the kids' ministry. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.